Again, we have the privilege of looking at the Word of God, studying it, and receiving from Him what we need for our spiritual life, growth, and service to our King. If you'll open your copy of the Scripture, Mark, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We have been in this gospel for a number of weeks. I think you know that. If you've been here recently, or you've been a regular member attendee, or member of our fellowship, Matthew chapter 10. We pick up this morning in verse 5 of the Gospel of Matthew. Let me read these verses in your hearing before we begin the exposition of them. Uh, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city." As you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of the house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Our subject uh, for these verses, harvest instruction. As it was in Jesus' day, so it is in our day with respect to the need of men. He, He may, the man may, live in a different zip code, have a different culture, possess the marvels of modern technology. Boy, don't we know it. But the crying need of man from God's standpoint, the one that really matters, is his need for the gospel. It is his need for salvation. That need trumps any other need that meeting. When Jesus sent his men into the harvest field of Israel, he had equipped them with authority and power and a message to meet that need. Both the authority they wielded and the message they proclaimed reveal the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of salvation. It is the sphere of God's rule over the hearts of those who have submitted to him through faith. Our wisdom as a local church, as individual believers, is to trust Jesus' prescription, his spiritual prescription for the ills of man for the sickness of his soul and apply the divine cure. The world, of course, and even sadly, some Christians provide answers or so-called cures for man's ills that are not in line with the divine prescription. What they offer is the spiritual equivalent of duct tape. You see people with duct tape 
on their vehicles or other places. You want to say, why don't you all get that fixed? <laughs> now, if you've got duct tape on your car, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm just trying to make a point. And we know it's not a fix. This is an illustration, you understand. We know that's temporary. They know, they know that there's a real fix. But sadly, there are some Christians don't know where the real fix is. Man can't be fixed by entertainment. He cannot be fixed by applying some superficial felt need cure. He needs his deep need met. Superficial answers cannot repair broken humanity. And humanity is broken. He is it's sin sick. And if, if you pay attention to what's transpiring in the world today, you can't help but notice that something is profoundly wrong with human beings. You see the sins that they commit and you ask the question, what is wrong with man? At the same time, you know what's wrong with him. If you have a biblical perspective on the condition of human beings. Jesus, with the ministry of the twelve, sending them to Israel, he is going to provide for them the answer, the ultimate answer for their ultimate need. The ultimate need is spiritual. And we have to have this in our minds. We need to cement in our thinking that the ultimate need of man from which all of his problems flow is spiritual. Without question. Man is alienated from God. His alienation from God uh, is, is the real root of it. And from that alienation comes his alienation from his fellow man. The solution to this is found solely in the Lord. I, have, I, have, I, I want to let you know, we're not going to ever see this world fixed. I'm glad there are some people trying to do some things to make it better, but it's not going to be fixed. This is a duct tape world. Not until Jesus comes. And his word is what needs to be applied to men. So Jesus sends his men to lost men. And we see here in our text, we're going to learn from what he does, his priority, number one, his priority. Verse 5a, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Let's stop there at the A portion of this verse. These 12 Jesus sent out. He sent them out in pairs according to Mark chapter 6 verse 7. And that was for mutual support as they would work their way through the cities and the towns and all of that to share the message of Christ. They needed one another uh, as they did that. They were sent out by Jesus. Thus they were authorized to speak on his behalf. They were authorized to preach by the God-man. And as Christians, so are we. We have been authorized by the one who has all power and authority in his hands to speak to people in the world. The great commission that we enjoy now, we have the authorization from God himself to go to our neighbor, to go to people and tell them what God wants them to know. And he sent them out to share the message. Another thing we need to understand about this sending out is this. By sending the 12, 
we see one of the evidences of the love of God for his sinful creatures. Think about that. He offers them the gospel. That's his love expressed. He calls the reprobate to repentance. He gives sinners the opportunity to turn from their rebellion against him. His kindness, as Romans 2 says, is for the purpose of them turning to him. He is patient with sinners. He gives them an opportunity to hear and to believe. That's his love. That's his grace. That extends to lost men. The reason they are still alive and they haven't uh, been judged and cast eternally into hell is because he is a God of love and patience and grace. He's God of mercy. And so he sends them to tell them the good news. And the word there is instructing. Jesus is in charge of the spiritual harvesters. Did I tell you the name of this message? Harvest Instructions. <laughs> Jesus is in charge. Ministry is to be done according to his dictates, according to his directions. We follow what he says. It's laid out uh, in the epistles for how we're to conduct ministry. We're to do it the way he commands us to do it. He tells us how to make disciples. So what we do, we look at the word of God and we follow how he instructs us to do so. And we're obligated to do so. When he instructs, we're bound to follow his rules, his word. Our Lord prioritizes Israel in the B portion of this text. You see it there. He says, do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Now, let me explain this prohibition against ministry to Gentiles and Samaritans. It was for the apostles in their initial ministry, uh, missionary journey. It was temporary. Their, their future ministry would include both groups. Act, Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for example, Samaria is specifically mentioned. But at this point in their training, the 12 were barely up to the task of witnessing to their own people effectively, much less witnessing to Gentiles and Samaritans. They weren't ready. They were still being trained by our Lord. Moreover, if they had gone to the Gentiles and Samaritans, the Jews would not have listened to them because they had gone to the Gentiles and Samaritans. The Jews would have closed their ears to anything they had to say. They were not ready to engage these groups, these Samaritans. Let me tell you why. If you're a Bible student, Christian, a long time, you understand this. The Jews despise Gentiles and Samaritans and vice versa. They despised the Gentiles because they were pagans. And their culture was so distinct from their own. They hated the Samaritans because they were of mixed race, part Jew, part Gentile. We might say biracial. Also, the Samaritans were considered heretics by the Jews because they withdrew from the worship of God at Jerusalem and established a worship center at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And even Peter, the Apostle Peter, 
later on, after Jesus had gone back to heaven, after the Pentecost had occurred, Peter had to be given a special vision from the Lord to prepare him to take the gospel to Gentile, a Gentile Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Jesus, of course, was not like his fellow Jews in their attitude. He did not disdain them. He didn't disdain these groups. He had no hatred for them. In fact, our Lord ministered to the Samaritan woman and revealed to her that he was the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? A, a, a member of a despised people, here's a, the Jewish Messiah saying, guess what? I am the Messiah. And he ministered to other Samaritans, John chapter 4, verses 7 through 42. He did this a year before commissioning these guys. So Jesus wasn't like them. Jesus had already, before commissioning the 12 here in this text, ministers to the Gentile centurion, centurion servant, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 18. May I apply this? We're to be like Jesus. It doesn't matter who they are. We share the gospel with them. If, if some people have a problem with a certain group of people, that's not our problem. Our, what we do, we take the gospel to them. Amen. That's reflecting Christ. Now, let me tell you here, let me hasten to add, in God's plan, Gentiles would be, will be in the kingdom. Oh, you're, more than likely, you're a Gentile. If you're a Jew, let me know after church. And there are Jews in the kingdom, trust me. We were out evangelizing once some years ago. My wife and I and another lady was with us and some others were out. And we knocked on the door of someone here in this city and we discovered that he was a Messianic Jew. It's one in the kingdom. And we rejoiced with our Jewish brother. Now in God's plan, Gentiles will be in the kingdom. They've always been part of God's redemptive plan, all the way back to Abraham, right? Genesis chapter 12. In fact, we've already seen in the gospel of Matthew uh, the reality that they're going to be in the kingdom. Jesus has told us this. He's made it quite clear. You may recall here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Jews, so the Gentiles are going to be in the kingdom and they'll be there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 16, said he had other sheep, not of this sheepfold. He was referring to Gentiles. He, as the good shepherd, would lay down his life. He would die for both Jews and Gentiles. Shepherd of both. Jesus. Jesus did that for both groups now verse 6 but rather go to the lost sheep 
of the house of Israel. It's already stated that this mission was for the Jews. Let's uh, unpack these words here and learn some things. Lost sheep of the house of Israel. Lost sheep is a metaphor. Israel had gone astray like sheep. Remember Isaiah's words? The word lost in the original language conveys a spiritual condition that began in the past and continues up to the present time. Further, this word lost means to lose. It means to perish. The figurative notion of lostness connotes the forfeiture of everything good and utter spiritual ruin. That's what it means to be lost. It's not talking about geography. It's not talking about I don't have a a means to find my place to go to a particular place. It means to experience the forfeiture of everything good and utter spiritual ruin. This is the spiritual reality of all unsaved people, period. This is the divine pronouncement. This is God's view of them from his perspective. Every person without Jesus Christ is in a state of utter ruin. If you don't comprehend that, you don't understand lost humanity like God does. Every now and then I hear someone talk about someone who uh, has died and Perhaps they were involved in some criminal activity, but they, they say he had a good heart. And I say, no, they didn't. Without Jesus Christ, they're utterly ruined in life, and the utter ruination of their experience is realized in eternity. This is serious. Lost sheep of the house of Israel. Understand, people are really, truly lost. They're away from God. They're hell-bound. Their lives right now are in a state of spiritual ruin. It doesn't matter what they do in life. It doesn't matter how high they ascend in society or if they're at the lowest point in society or somewhere in between. Without Christ, they're in a state of utter ruin. And the reason I I, I really point this out and underscore it, because you need to know that as a Christian. Jesus said to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he didn't say to the the good old boys. They're, They're nice people. Lost sheep of the house of Israel. We have to see people for who they are from God's perspective now Jesus came to save his people from their sins Matthew 1 21 even Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel reason Jesus sends these men here another reason is this Israel was still in God's was still God's chosen people and the kingdom was still to be offered to Abraham's descendants first you recall Jesus is saying in John chapter 4, verse 22, salvation is from the Jews. What our Lord meant by that is 
it comes to them first and through them and comes to the rest of the world. Salvation is for, from the Jews. It comes to them first, comes through them, and then comes to the rest of the world. Paul carried that out as well. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Acts chapter 13, verse 5, Paul's pattern was that the, uh, he would go to the synagogue first. And when they refused, he'd go to the Gentiles. That's a priority. Jesus circumscribed these men's first initial foray into the hardest field to the Jews. That's the priority. The proclamation, next thing we see here. The proclamation. And as you go, verse 7, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, preach, not what I'm doing. It's not the idea. People always can think of preaching as a guy standing behind a desk and exposing scripture. No. The word here is caruso. The original, it means to herald. Herald was to faithfully report the word of the one by whom he was sent. That's what a herald does. A herald is one who says, I'm going to tell you what the one who sent me told me to tell you to say. He was not to invent his own message. He is not to be original. He is to merely repeat what he has been told to repeat. It's his job just to utter what the one who sent him sent him to say. It's a matter, in this case, of obedience to Jesus Christ. And notice what the message is. It says here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the message John the Baptist preached. It was the message that Jesus preached. And it's the message that the apostles were to preach. Mark's account of this same event has three words. Men, these words rather, men should repent. Mark chapter 6. Putting it together, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 4, 17. is what John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven. The sphere of salvation. Repentance and faith. Faith in Christ. How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? You repent of your sins. And by faith in Christ, you enter the narrow gate. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Now what we do, faith in Christ, because of the crucifixion and the, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, we include the atoning death of Christ. Uh, when you trust him, you come into church, you come into the kingdom. Now, let me tell you why it's important to give God's message the message we're commanded to preach. When we share the message or the gospel, God confronts men in the message proclaimed. God confronts men. It's just not you. When you're sharing the gospel, it is God himself confronting the sinner. 
God the Holy Spirit confronts men in their sin. He convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, John 16a. He is the unseen person on the scene when you are sharing the gospel. He is there and he is doing his work. This doesn't happen with a mere man-made message. God also saves men by the message heralded or preached. He is the one doing it. In fact, see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you'd like to look there with me for a brief moment, I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. I'll tell you what God does. He takes message. Now, uh, and you need to see something here is fascinating. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Foolishness is from the standpoint of human beings who see the gospel as moronic. The message preached, those two words, heralded, is the word heralded. God uses that message not only to confront men of their sin and sin, righteousness, and judgment, but also to save men who believe. That's why we're to share God's message. Because God's message is effective. That's why we herald it and not our own. You don't have a message that can save a soul. Your words don't have that kind of power. Your ideas can't accomplish that end. Only the word of the living God has the power to save a sinner. And that's the word we're to preach. the word we're to share with sinners it's the word God uses says don't give your opinion everybody's got one they're like eyeballs give them the word of God it's what God uses now the next thing in verse 8 here back in our text we'll see uh, the, it says here uh, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the uh, lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Here's the deal. Miraculous powers validated the message. They authenticated the apostles' message that the kingdom of heaven indeed was near. The miraculous powers credentialized the message. The kingdom indeed was there. How do we know that what you're saying is true? Well, look what we do. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Those three things, the healings and delivering from evil powers, not only validated the message of the apostles, but they also showed God's compassion and mercy for people. God is compassionate. He is merciful to people, to sinners. Not that we uh, deserve it, not that we're worthy, we're not. What we really deserve is uh, a place reserved in the hottest hell. God in his mercy 
seeks to redeem men and women. And he does. Raises the dead. Showing the power of the kingdom over death. Jesus says to the men, freely you receive, freely give. The powers which they had were granted them freely without cost to them. They were to minister free of charge. There is to be no thought of personal profit. It was God's power, not their own. In fact, these guys could have gotten very, very, very wealthy if they had charged it and hung up a sign saying, listen, come and get your healing. Now, if you invest 500 denarii in my ministry, I can get you healed. (laughs) They didn't do that. Do you know what God thinks about people who do that? Try to use his power for personal profit? I'm going to show you. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. There's a man named Simon. Acts chapter 8. He claimed to have believed he was called the the great power of God. He claimed to believe the gospel. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. People were receiving the Holy Spirit when hands were laid on them. Verse 17, Verse 18 says this, Now when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What did Peter say? Oh, brother, it doesn't work like that. No, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Anybody who's wanting to be in the ministry for money, your heart's not right with God. Be mindful of these people. They want your money. Simon has a legacy of people like that. Jesus said, don't you do that. So there's the priority. There's the proclamation. Here is the prohibition. Notice what our Lord says. Uh, Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats, sandals, or staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. Jesus gives this prohibition to teach the apostles to trust the Lord for their needs says don't take a bag for your journey probably a food sack God trust me I'll meet your needs the worker is worthy of his support here's the divine principle God will take care of his people his man his men those who preach the gospel are to live by the gospel 1 Corinthians 9 14 pastors now this can be self-serving but so be it I gotta give you all the word of God right He's going to tell you the truth. 1 Timothy 5. And I'm not uh, saying this because it doesn't happen here, but I want you to understand, why do you pay the preacher? Because God said so. Amen. Y'all can amen God. You ought to. 
It says, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's what God says do. That's his principle. That's the word of God. We don't look to sinners to do it. In a church, the people of God are to do it. Now go back with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 10. Next point, the peace. The peace. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As they traveled on their missionary tour, they, were to, they needed a place to stay, obviously. Uh, they didn't have hotels like we do today. Uh, so they would have to stay in someone's house. But they would find someone who was worthy. Worthy means someone spiritual, has good moral character, lifestyle known to be godly, someone open to the message. They would avoid ungodly associations that would undermine their testimony, even their own spirituality. Find somebody who is right, godly. They would stay there. Give that house your greeting. Now, the next thing, verse 12, as you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing. Give it your blessing. How's the house worthy? They want to receive you. They want the message that you give to them. How do you give the blessing? That that. Peace is the word there in verse 13. The last word in the verse. Peace is a rainy in the original tongue. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew shalom, which means wellness of body, mind, and spirit. How are they to give the blessing to the people that they, whose house they came into? Simple. They were to minister to them to the full. They were to feed them the word of God. Those who wanted it would receive it in the fullness. That's how you do it. That's what they were to do. Next thing, punishment. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of the house of that city, shake the dust off your feet. That's a dramatic gesture, isn't it? It's a dramatic gesture of repudiation. And it was borrowed from a Jewish practice. Jesus uses this in a spiritual sense. See, what the Jews would do when they left Gentile lands, they would shake the dust off their feet. They didn't want to soil their homeland with Gentile dirt. And what Jesus does, he takes it and uses it differently to express a a spiritual point. When they reject the gospel, you show your repudiation of them. Shaking the dust off your feet. Now, let me hasten to add, Jesus doesn't mean um, we're to do that to a person who's slow to understand or believe the gospel because there's some, for example, there are Christians who didn't believe the gospel the first time, didn't believe it the second time, or maybe the third time. They weren't resistant to the gospel. They just weren't believing. It just didn't come to faith at that point. Not that person, not those people. You to treat that way. 
The gesture is reserved for those who are dead set in their opposition to God and his truth. They continue to oppose and resist it. I had an experience like that once as a younger Christian years ago, sharing the gospel with a guy, and he came back and shared with me. Man, this guy was hot. He let me in. I didn't know. Now I look back, that guy could have hurt me because he had some big muscles. <laughs> but I learned from that, um, this guy didn't want the gospel. He was hostile to it. He let me share with him, and then when I was done, he wanted me and my uh, ministry partner out of the house. I said, I'm not going back there. An angel's going to have to come down and save that dude. <laughs> that guy was hostile. And there are people like Christ, they hate God and they hate the gospel. And when you run across people like that, you don't force it on them, you turn away from them. Jesus was clear about that in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underneath their feet and turn and tear you to pieces so when you find people like that figuratively shake the dust off your feet that is you turn away from them and go about your business to someone who want to hear the gospel receive the gospel who is open to the gospel I mentioned the Apostle Paul earlier, and I want to mention him again, his own practice in taking the gospel to the Jews first. He did that because as a priority, they were God's people, the chosen people that need to hear the word. But Paul practiced this principle that Jesus enunciates here in our uh, gospel, Matthew, Acts chapter 13, and you can see it, Acts chapter 13. And if you turn there, you can see the word of God here. The next Sabbath day, verse 44, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Acts 13, 46 says this, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, you Jews. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. That's how you do it. When people blaspheme, they hate it, they don't want it, turn away from them. And they instead went to the Gentiles. And they quoted a text, a scripture, the Old Testament, verse 47 and verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed turn away leave them that's how you deal with that that's what Jesus told his men punishment will come verse 15 in our text verse 15 of Matthew chapter 10 Jesus makes this sobering statement he takes us all the way to the future prophetically telling us how things are going to shake out in the final judgment of this unsaved. He says in verse 15, Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Those who rejected Christ, rejected God, rejected the gospel, they will be accountable. God in his love has given them opportunity. They repudiate it, so what they have to face is God in his wrath. 
When there's a refusal of grace, there will be the reception of divine wrath. Notice the word, more tolerable. For the land of Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah, the most notorious Gentiles and center, notorious centers of iniquity in the Old Testament. In fact, they became a byword in the Old Testament for loathsome wickedness. They were an example of wickedness. In fact, in the future tribulation period, the city of Jerusalem will be compared to Sodom because of its wickedness, Revelation eleven eighteen. But as wicked as Solomon and Gomorrah was, and God destroyed them, remember he sent fire and brimstone out of heaven to destroy that city and all its inhabitants? It will be more tolerable for them than for those cities who had the preachers, the twelve. Why? Because those people had the preachers, the twelve had the word and had the miracles. They had more light. They had exposure to truth. And they refused it. There's a greater accountability when one has greater exposure to divine truth. In fact, if Sodom and Gomorrah had, uh, had what they had, in Matthew chapter 11 it says this, in you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. They would have turned. That's the implication. If they'd had that experience of the miracles and all of that, they would have turned away from their sin. There are degrees of punishment in hell. People will not suffer equally in hell in terms of the punishment for their sins. Now, I don't understand that. Because it seems to me if you're in the lake of fire, just being there is bad enough. But Jesus says more tolerable. What that means is it's got to be it's beyond our comprehension. We can't grasp this. The reality is God is a God of justice. He does what's right. And he punishes people in even in eternal judgment according to their sins. you something. That's why we have to give people a gospel. Pray they come to him. Tell you how bad it's going to be to illustrate this point I'm making about the uh, greater tolerability of those who have greater light or less light than those who had greater light. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 29. Here's this principle again. Enunciated in the scripture. Greater degrees of punishment. For those. In hell. Who rejected greater light. Hebrews 10. Verse 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has regarded as unclean 
the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. This expression of contempt. The punishment would be more severe for that person than for the person who violated the law of Moses. They had all that light, who Christ is. Holy Spirit was saying, he is the one. And they say, no. They treat him, Christ, with contempt. The punishment will be greater. Hmm. I hope uh, that helps us to understand um, the real issues in human life. There's so many things that go on in the world. But the bottom line is this. A person is either in the kingdom or not. They're headed either for heaven or they're not. When it is finally said and done, that's all that ultimately matters. We have the message that men need for their souls. Let us faithfully share that word with lost men and women. Sin the way God sees them. Without Christ, they're lost. Let's be his harvesters in the harvest field. Share his saving message. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reminder, this reality check. Jesus' instructions in the word of God about the real state of man and what man needs. Help us who know you, who've been rescued by the gospel, to be faithful in sharing it with those who need it. I pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. We want to share together now on the Lord's table. This really... um